Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, dudes. Before we get started, I wanted to tell you that thanks to Jessica, a cool listener who wrote in with this idea, we now have a Patrama Party Facebook group. Jessica was like, Hey, I would love a forum where we can talk about what's been working for us and what we need help with. And I was like, holy shit, great idea. So anyway, if you're into that and you're on Facebook, join the group, just search the Patrama party under groups and voila. All right, here we go. Hi, you handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people, welcome to the Patrama Party, where we bump and grind all up on the greatest tragedies of our lives. Just pelvic thrusting all up on that shit. So grab your latex booty shorts and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and this week we're talking about vulnerability. I kind of feel like I should have led with this conversation. (laughs) Like what? Uh, I've been doing this for a year and we haven't had a dedicated conversation about vulnerability. It's pretty much the building block of being an emotionally functional adult in this world. And yet simultaneously, it's fucking terrifying and painful. (laughs) So to help us figure out how the fuck we navigate vulnerability and the trauma of being vulnerable, I'm so happy to welcome doctor of clinical psychology and the anti-soulmate love coach, Carrie Lou Cowell. Hi, Carrie. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here, Remy. Yay. I'm so excited to have you on. And to get us started, let's chat for a minute about your astrology. What are your sun, moon, and rising signs? (laughs) I love astrology. I'm a huge astrology nerd. Um, So I'm a Virgo sun, Capricorn moon, and a Cancer rising. Ooh. So two Mm -hmm. earths and a water. So... I mean, you, you're probably, you probably know all this, but you know, for people who may not know Virgo, of course, always makes sense for someone in your line of work because it's the sign of health and service. So you're of service to others by assisting them with their mental health. So that's perfect. And then cat moons are also great in this profession because Capricorn likes order and structure. So it's medicine is in applying order to the emotional realm, how we can make sense of feelings so that they don't cause chaos in our lives is sort of the mantra of a Capricorn moon. And then that cancer rising is so good for being outwardly caring and nurturing and warm and also just for being outward about sensitivities, like letting emotional sensitivities be a part of your public image. You yourself, you know, you're you're into astrology. So I'll ask you, do you ever feel that Cancer Rising and Virgo Sun energy at odds? 
I asked because Virgo is represented in the tarot by like the hermit card because it likes being inward and cancer rising kind of puts it all on the line. Do you ever feel like those energies struggle for power or anything? Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny because like astrology or not, like I feel like my life is full of like dualities. I love Mm. being out. I love being with people and very outgoing. And I also really love being alone. Mm. Um, So finding that balance um, can be a challenge, especially now that we're out of lockdown and everyone's like, I feel like the social events are like extra social events because we all missed, you know, two years of those. Um, I actually have a very, just like in my chart as a whole, I have a very, um, balanced chart so i'm very i have three of each of the four four elements Mm. so i'm very balanced and i have a stellium and libra so like there's just Mm. balance all over um and also right like i feel like my life work is to like find balance between all of these differing energies that i have in me as carrie so (laughs) yeah yeah yes oh my god a libra stellium i have a libra stellium too so i get it it kind of feels a lot of times like I'm like, I can see it, it sort of sometimes I'm like, I see my point, but I also see your point. <laughs> like I see yes. what you're saying. And so sometimes it's hard for me to like land on a perspective. Cause I'm like, I don't know. It all kind of makes sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm definitely not. I'm, you know, I, tr- I'm trying to be better, but I'm not the friend you come to. If you want the friend who's just going to validate you know, your yeah. feelings are validate. Of course, that's what I do in my work. But like, if you just want someone who's like going to get on board about being angry or like, you know, whatever at somebody else, I'm like, not that friend. I'm going to be like, well, did you think about this thing? And what about like this, right. you know, like what about their side of the story? And like, there's so right. many different facets that you can look at. Yeah. Yeah. And those are good friends to have. We need those friends, you know, someone to kind of give us an, another way of looking at it. That's perfect. And I feel like that's probably great for your, for your work, even though yes, when we're in therapy, it's kind of, we do kind of want to feel validated, of course. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm so happy you're here. I'm going to dive into my experience on the topic. While I do that, you know, feel free to jump in with thoughts, emotional breakthroughs, wordle tips, you know, or you can sit back, relax, sip a margarita. Either way, at the end, I'll turn some questions over to you. How does that sound? That sounds great. I'm excited to hear your story. Okay, great. Here we go. Uh, honestly, you know, woof, this is a hard topic to get into because I think vulnerability is a part of everything we do when we try to learn something new, when we put our creative endeavors into the world, when we pitch an idea at work. And yes, of course, in relationships of all kinds, friendships, family relationships, romantic relationships, all of them. I'll start with childhood to kind of dig into how vulnerability was modeled to me, because I think probably a lot of people can relate at least in part. So both my parents struggle with their mental health, but when it came to vulnerability, that looked really different for each of them. My dad basically didn't ever show up vulnerably. I've never seen my dad cry to this day. He didn't have conversations with me about my feelings, his feelings. He was mostly just a scary parent. I was in my early 20s the first time I saw into my dad's emotional landscape at all. He and his girlfriend had broken up and I met up with him at a bar. My dad is an addict and he probably was, you know, pretty not sober at that point. And he said that he was sad about being single. And that was kind of all that he said. And that was one of of maybe a handful of times that my dad has been vulnerable with me 
as an adult, but as a kid, I never saw my dad modeling vulnerability with my mom's mental health struggles. She cycles through emotional extremes within the span of an hour or a few hours. So when I was a kid, she would go from being fine. Everything's fine to raging, screaming, throwing things to sobbing, to being fine again in a pretty short amount of time. When my mom was in the mode of sobbing, this is where I experienced her vulnerability. And that vulnerability was pretty much synonymous with despair. So I really didn't have a model of what vulnerability could mean outside of despair. I never heard my mom say, girls, I'm experiencing some painful feelings. You might see me crying, but I'm going to be fine or anything like adjacent to that. Her vulnerability was essentially emotional incest, which is when you use children as emotional substitutes for life partners or best friends or therapists. So in my case, that looked like talking to us, my sister and I at like five and seven years old about her abusive childhood, sobbing and wondering why she couldn't find a husband, telling us no one loved her. And one thing she would often say during these meltdowns was, I'll never be okay. So to kind of sum up, her vulnerability was always wrapped in despair. And when we were growing up, that was expressed through emotional incest. I would later realize in my life that when my own feelings got really big, I would become despairing. I had no idea how to have self-talk that was like, wow, this really fucking hurts. So I'm going to nurture myself right now. I'm going to book an extra therapy appointment. I'm going to journal, spend time in nature, but I'm not going to become hopeless. So that's one thing I want to name right away is that one piece of this puzzle in my life has been associating the pain of vulnerability and of being wounded, being triggered with despair, with hopelessness, and also with this echo of my mom, even though I never had that direct thought, I experienced the energy of I'm never going to be okay. The other piece of this, though, is that my mom also was not emotionally available to others. If she had issues with friends, she would immediately end the friendship. At the first sign of conflict, she was out the door. And those friends never saw the despairing side of her that we saw growing up. She didn't let anyone else see that. So there was this sort of extreme and also inappropriate expression of vulnerability with her children when she was struggling. But then this kind of extreme emotional unavailability with anyone else in her life. With us, even though we did see her sort of like excruciating vulnerability, we weren't allowed to have vulnerabilities that made her uncomfortable. And that meant we definitely weren't allowed to express a vulnerability that called her into question in any way. So if she'd hurt our feelings, we weren't allowed to bring that up to her. Her go-to response was, you're attacking me and I don't deserve this. So it was a real mixed bag. On the one hand, I saw these intense displays of vulnerability that were enmeshed in hopelessness. But on the other hand, I also saw a lot of emotional shutting down and experienced a lot of being shut down when my vulnerabilities came up. So in other words, the messaging was just all over the fucking place. So here's a great example. When I was probably six or seven, my mom was starting out her career as a makeup artist in the film industry. She had just finished a film, which happened to be a kid's movie. So we went over to the neighbor's house to watch it with them and their kids, who my sister and I were friends with. 
we watched the movie and at the end of it, we all watched the credits to find my mom's name. So it's like, imagine it's me, my sister, some neighborhood kids and some neighborhood parents. And then like, we're, we're all sitting around watching, waiting for my mom's name to appear. And unfortunately my mom had not been listed in the credits which I'm sure was shitty to find out at your watch party with the neighbors. And I'm sure felt really vulnerable for a lot of reasons, but the way my mom responded was pretty extreme. She started screaming at us to get our things and get the fuck in the car. The neighbors tried to calm her down and tell her it was probably just a small mistake and not to worry about it. She screamed at them, told them not to talk to her and some other stuff. I can't really remember exactly what she said. Cause I was sort of like, um, you know, dissociating because I was so afraid. And when we got in the car, I remember it was like, we were in trouble. It was like, put your fucking seatbelt on. I don't want to hear a word out of you, you girls, that kind of thing. I think we all know that anger is often something that people use as a shield when they feel vulnerable. For my mom, it was rage. Uh, it was like full blown rage. But what's so interesting is not long before this incident, she had tried to get on the makeup team for a movie and she didn't get the job. They hired someone else. Again, so vulnerable to put yourself out there and not be chosen. And on top of it, my mom was a single mom. This was like, you know, she was trying to make money to raise her kids. But in that case, she cried for weeks. She cried to us. She cried to her friends who stopped by to visit. I guess this is one of the only instances I remember when she was vulnerable with friends. She, I mean, she just was like, she, she weeping, just and again, it was just this sense of utter hopelessness. So there wasn't consistency in my mom's relationship to vulnerability, except that she wasn't to be questioned. She was allowed to take up all the space with her emotions and they could be huge and confusing and inconsistent and disproportionate to the situation and mean and rude, but we were not allowed to have feelings about it. We weren't allowed to be hurt or upset by her in any way. And that was very consistent. So the takeaways for me were like, okay, one, other people get to have big, intense, erratic feelings, but I don't. Two, if you have big feelings, hide them away because people don't like that shit. Certainly don't try to have a conversation about it. Three, if someone hurts you, pretend they didn't. Or what I would also see my mom do, tell them to get fucked and then maybe you know, make up with them later down the line or never speak to them again. But whatever the case, never talk about what happened. And this is where I can find the root of my attachment style. This is where my particular brand of anxious attachment style was born. When my mom experienced a rejection of really any kind, romantic, professional, etc., she went to despair. And that became a learned behavior for me as an adult, especially in relationships. The vulnerability of rejection meant I was on my way to despair town, just complete internal collapse. But I had also taken on both my parents' emotional hiding behaviors. My mom only let us see her despair. No one else saw it. And my dad was just super stoic. So I would have this internal collapse and go into that anxious attachment despair, but only behind closed doors, only when I was alone. I wanted the people who'd rejected me to feel like I didn't give two shits about them. <laughs> so it was like a fun, anxious, avoidant combo. And that was how I navigated relationships. It was so damaging. What often happened was 
I would stay involved with people who were treating me like shit or who didn't, you know, particularly care about me because the idea of telling them how I felt and risking that vulnerable rejection was just too painful for me. Better to keep sleeping with dudes who flirted with other women in front of me and never took me on dates and never spent the night because then I could have the physical connection that I yearned for and simultaneously avoid the potential for rejection. Of course, this often didn't work and I would slip up and say something really vulnerable like, I feel like you don't care about me. Or I would find these sort of sideways ways of saying that I wasn't happy in the situation. Like one time I told a guy who I really wanted to date that I was done hooking up with him because he never ate me out, which I mean is for sure problematic. You know, ladies do not allow this, but it wasn't the issue. The issue is that I wanted a monogamous relationship with him and he didn't want that with me. So instead of seeing myself on out of a situation where I wasn't getting my needs met, I stayed involved so that he wouldn't know how painful it was for me. And also because I, you know, I wanted that connection with him and that physical connection. So this was how a lot of my relationships looked, even with friends. I would often pretend like things were okay and never tell people how upset I was about something. My childhood had taught me that there was no point in talking about my feelings with people. They weren't going to be held. I wasn't going to feel seen. I wasn't going to feel heard. Better to pretend like things were fine so I could keep the relationship. Or if I was in too much pain in the relationship, just end it completely. Fast forward to a few years ago when my therapist was like, yeah, we need to talk about your attachment style. I had never heard about attachment style before. So that, so that was the first time I realized that the way I was showing up when my vulnerabilities were triggered was dysfunctional and honestly unsustainable. I mentioned this on the anxious attachment style episode, but there was a book that my therapist at the time recommended called Love Sense by Dr. Sue B. Johnson. And I want to preface by saying, there are definitely some problematic things about the book. It's super heteronormative and it doesn't create space for non-monogamous relationships for sure. But it was really valuable to me because it literally outlined what vulnerable conversations between securely attached people in relationships looked like. One of the conversations I remember was between two people. They, you know, they were a couple and one of them had cheated. And when I read what their dialogue looked like, I was fucking floored. I mean, when I tell you I was physically uncomfortable by how transparent they were, like I could barely get through it because it would send me into a panic. And I think a lot of that visceral reaction was because I imagined saying those things to someone who had hurt me and it was excruciating. The heart palpitations, the nausea, the overwhelm. I just had never witnessed a conversation that left someone so open to attack, nor had I ever heard someone respond to another person's vulnerability with such love and care and openness and tenderness. So as scary as it was for me to read those words, it was also really exciting for me because I had something tangible to draw from. I could be like, oh shit, okay, this is what it looks like. Which brings me to a more recent example where I can share both the trauma of vulnerability and a huge win for me. So I had a friend, we were super close and she had a group of friends that she was also super close with since childhood. They'd all grown up together for years. She had been telling me in our friendship that I was her person. Those were her words, which to me translated to, 
you know, maybe like a slightly more intimate version of best friends or whatever. And so I was investing in the relationship at that level. I was like, wow, she really trusted me with that. She really opened up to me. I'm her person. Okay. We are best friends. I'm your person and you're mine. Right. But that narrative would get disrupted anytime her childhood friends would come into the picture. She would make plans with me and then cancel them because of something going on with one of those friends, right? Like that friend was the priority. Um, Another specific example, it was her birthday. And I had asked her ahead of time, like, what's something that you really want, but wouldn't get for yourself? She told me she really wanted this kind of stone to wear around her neck. So I went out and I got it for her. I brought it to her house. These childhood friends who were in town were hanging out. And I gave her the box and put it on her and gave her a big hug. And then not 30 seconds later, out of the blue, she just says something super mean to me. She just like attacks me. Like I had barely had time to sit down. And and it was like, oh, your friends are here. And now you're like attacking me. Another time I was going through some really hard stuff. And I'd asked if she wanted to cuddle and watch a movie. And she told me that she didn't like physical affection with friends. Three days later, one of these childhood friends came into town and she sat there in front of me holding her hand, holding hands with this friend for like an hour and talking to her without ever including me in the conversation after having just told me I don't like physical affection with friends. I could list a bunch more things, but just suffice to say, it was like there were two versions of our friendship. The you're my person version, which was really sweet and loving. And then the my other friends are here so you can fuck off version. So it was really confusing and super painful for me. And, if you know, just kind of felt like middle school. So I told her these moments had upset me, which, by the way, was like already me kind of trying to break through this mold that I had of just I'm not going to tell you when I'm hurt. And we managed to kind of work through them. But the problem was that they just kept coming up. And I started to realize, wow, I'm deeply traumatized by this. I am investing in this person so deeply. And yet I don't feel safe. I know I'm her person because she keeps saying that. But now I feel really anxious when she goes to hang out with this group or when they come into town to hang out with her. So... I checked in with myself. I was like, what do I need here? What would really help me feel better in this situation? How can I advocate for my needs in a way that also supports this friendship? I meditated on that for a while and got an answer that felt good for me. So I mustered the courage the next day to be really vulnerable and share with her that I didn't feel safe as a result of these incidents that had happened and that kind of kept coming up. And I made a really vulnerable request, which by the way, I did not enjoy doing. (laughs) What I like doing is pretending like I could give less of a fuck about you. You can't hurt me. I, you know, take it or leave it, but it's not the truth, right? It's not authentic. So I chose not to do that. I was like, okay, I read the book. I'm growing. I'm ready to up level because I really care about this friendship. I really want to make it work. So I told her how I really felt. And I asked before you hang out with these friends next time, what I need is some reassurance. Like, I just need you to look me in the eyes and say, Rem, I know things have been fucked in the past when I've hung out with these friends, but I want you to know I really love you. And as soon as I get back from this trip, you and I are going to hang out and it's going to be awesome. Just something so that I feel understood, so that my feelings and fears are acknowledged, so I feel safe. She agreed to do that. And then she went on a trip with those friends not long after. 
and she didn't do it. She didn't do it before. She didn't do it during. And she didn't even call me when she got back into town. And to make a long story short, I finally just asked her, when you've been saying all this time that I'm your person, do you really mean that? Do you mean that I'm your person and and like your best friend? And she was like, well, no, that's just something I say. I have a lot of people I consider my person. So, I mean, talk about the trauma of vulnerability. There's a lot more to this story, but it ultimately completely ended. The friendship ended because in these conversations over and over again, I would tell her my feelings were hurt and she would tell me all the reasons I was wrong. She would argue with me or she would make herself the victim and I would end up comforting her at the end of the conversation instead of the other way around, which I'm sure she was doing because she felt too vulnerable to look at her behavior honestly and be like, wow, I really fucked up and I'm so sorry, but it was still, it just wasn't working. So I finally came to her and lovingly said, I'm realizing I don't feel seen, heard or held in these moments when I bring my pain to you. And what I really need is to feel like you understand where I'm coming from. You really hear me and you care. And first she responded to that by asking me, aren't you tired of having these conversations? (laughs) Uh, And in my mind, I was like, uh, I'm tired of the situations that keep coming up that create the need for me to keep talking to you about this. But of course, that's not what I said. I just responded that, yes, I understood these conversations were difficult, but they were worth it to me because I cared about the relationship. And then as I tried to explain what it would look like to reflect back to me that she understood where I was coming from and why this was hurtful for me, why it would be hurtful to find out that this person who I thought was my person for the last three, four years never meant that. She literally, she looked at me and she said, do you even want to be friends anymore? So the messaging in that moment was really clear. It was like, your needs are annoying. I'm over this. I want to be able to just hurt you and make the conversation about me and have you be fine with it. So obviously when she never apologized for that, I ended this friendship. But there are two pieces here for me that I wanted to talk about. One is this massive win of being really vulnerable in a way that felt so excruciating for me, asking to have my needs met, admitting I cared deeply, telling her I didn't feel safe. This was so big for me. I showed up with that vulnerability literally to the last second of that relationship. And I, man, when I see the growth and um, the way that I stepped out of my old patterns, I just feel so proud of myself. That said, I think a lot of the messaging we get is that as we become more vulnerable, we'll necessarily experience more joy because we'll have deeper intimacy. And and I do think there's truth to that. Absolutely. But I'm not here to sugarcoat anything. You can be really vulnerable and put yourself out there and ask to have your needs met and stay really loving and use I language and like all that they, I, me, whatever they, you know, with the people who you trust. And say, like, I really don't feel chosen by you. And that hurts so much because I love you. You know, you can you can roll over and show someone your belly and then you can get scratched. And I realize I'm not really making a case for vulnerability right now, but I bring this up because I want to have an honest conversation, not just about all the good, juicy, yummy, lovey things that happen when we're vulnerable, but also the trauma and heartbreak of being vulnerable. So in that spirit... I'll share something that a former therapist told me years ago. 
that has proven so true for me and so helpful in this conversation about how fucking hard it is to be vulnerable. (laughs) Years ago, I was spiraling because a guy I'd been friends with for years and had, I had a crush on the whole time, started texting me every day, sort of out of nowhere being flirty. And one day he suddenly told me, Remy, you changed my life. Those weren't his words, but and, and, and he said he wanted to hold me in his arms and he wanted to come visit me. We were living in different states. This was on top of a month of flirty texts pretty much every day. And then I didn't hear from him, from him for three days. So I sent him a long text, just putting it all on the table. I was like, hey, I really like you. I'd love to see where things go. I'm not asking for any kind of commitment or anything, but I'd love for you to come visit so we can see what this is. I fully expected him to respond with a screenshot of his plane ticket because <laughs> I just I was like, there's no way this guy would say all this stuff to me if he wasn't serious about it. Instead, he responded and said, oh, you must have misunderstood me. I think you're really nice, but I don't know if I have feelings per se. It just really felt like gaslighting. He pretended like this whole spiel about how I changed his life and he wanted to hold me in his arms and blah, 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 like it had never happened. And this incident sent me deep into the dark realm. It was bad. And I remember I told my therapist that I was really stupid for sending that text. I told her I should have played it cool. I should have played the game. I should have played hard to get because that's how you do it. That's how you're supposed to do it. And I don't do that. And that's why I'm never, I'm I'm always going to be alone. That was the story I had. But what she said to me really stopped me in my tracks. She said, but if you had played the game, you might still be involved with the kind of person who gaslights you when you're vulnerable with him because he's not comfortable with honesty and vulnerability. You would still be entertaining that go nowhere, dead end situation and considering him as a potential partner. But because you were honest and vulnerable, you were able to stop wasting your time with someone who isn't on the same page as you. You were able to move on. And that was such a breakthrough for me. I had this view that winning meant being the person who didn't care about the other person until you found someone who told you they cared first and it all worked out. (laughs) That was how you won the relationship game, right? But you're not competing against other people in relationships. You're only competing against yourself. Although I'll say I think competing is the wrong word, but to continue the game metaphor, you know, well, what I, what I mean by that is, are you growing? Are you showing up in a way that you are increasingly proud of? Are you doing the scary thing that you couldn't do before? What happens when we do this is not like this guarantee that the people around us will be able to meet us and we'll all live happily ever after. In fact, a lot of people won't. The person I thought was my best friend, this guy who I'd known for like six years and thought was so trustworthy. When we start advocating for our vulnerabilities and our needs, people will likely drop off. And that sounds really scary. But the beauty is in exactly what my therapist said. It becomes obvious a lot faster who can meet us and who can't. Who can be loving when we show up with our vulnerabilities and who can be vulnerable with us in return? And who will lash out? Who will gaslight? Who will turn the conversation around so you end up comforting them even though they just treated you like shit, right? You'll have so much more clarity, so much faster. So you don't stay for years in relationships with people who can't meet you and you create space for the people who can. 
that's part of the healing. So here's what I can offer that I've learned in my experience with this. The first thing is for those of us who weren't allowed to have vulnerabilities or boundaries or anger as kids, and certainly weren't allowed to voice any of those things, what has helped me has been knowing when my inner child feels triggered. I know when my inner child feels triggered because I'll have a despairing emotional response to something, right? Just like I witnessed as a little girl, it feels big. It feels unmanageable. It feels all consuming. So first is to flag that my inner child has taken up some fucking space. That's my process. When my inner child gets rewounded, the thing I need to do right away is meet her where she is, ask her what she needs. I'm not going to shame myself and be like, damn, Remy, you're so extra. This is crazy. You're too much. No, 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 no. None of that shit. I go, okay, little Remy is here and she has something really important to tell me. So, so what is it? Then I meditate. I get quiet. I close my eyes. I literally envision, you know, like a four-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old version of myself. I put my hand on my heart so she knows she's safe. And I ask, why are you sad? What's coming up? What do you need? What would help you feel better? And she'll tell me, she'll be like, I don't feel chosen. Like she will scream it. I don't feel important. I don't feel heard. And like in the case with my friend, when I ask what she needs to feel better, she'll tell me things like, I need validation that these hurtful things happened and reassurance that I matter and that things will change or whatever it is, right? That's the first big chunk of it. And it doesn't involve anyone else. It's only about me. It's about being vulnerable with myself, being brave enough to see my own deep pain and wounds and to treat those with kindness. The second part is voicing those needs to the other person involved in the situation to simply say, this is how I feel. I feel unimportant when these things happen, which is scary because I care about you so much or, hey, I really like you and I'd love to see if there's something here. Just really honest about how you feel and what you need to help repair in the case that you were wounded in the situation. This is the kind of information that for me, my inner child has direct access to. And so in my experience, that's, that's the first place to go for clarity and soothing. And of course, talking it over with my therapist is huge. That's another big piece. And again, just it doesn't involve the other person at all, right? It's, it's work that I do on my end before I go to the other person. But then once I do go to the other person, the next part is really paying attention to how they respond. If they're like, oh, wow, okay, thank you for telling me. I really hear that. I care about you. I'm going to work on this. And then they do, great, awesome. You're deepening that connection and that intimacy. If they tell you all the reasons why you're wrong, they make it about them. If they gaslight, that's when it's time to think about what boundaries you want to put into place so that you can have those intimate, connected, nurturing relationships with people who are able to meet you. And maybe that means eventually like, hey, I need to, th this relationship isn't working. Or maybe it means, you know, I think there are all kinds of other boundaries that you can put in place that don't involve leaving the relationship, but ultimately that's up to you. But the, but the real important thing is you take care of you and that vulnerability every step of the way so that you can have those relationships with people who can meet you.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. Carrie, how are you doing over there? I'm good. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Totally. Okay. I I am so excited to get into this with you because I feel like we're kind of getting into the belly of the beast with this conversation, but let's kind of start with the basics. The dictionary definition of vulnerability kind of sucks. It's like putting yourself in harm's way, which is so terrifying, right? Can you talk about how you in your line of work, look at vulnerability, what it is, what its purpose is, why it's important, just kind of those building block questions. Yeah. You know, vulnerability is such a multifaceted thing. And I think uh, now that we're talking, I'm like, maybe I need to make a model. Um, (laughs) So that way we can have a nice infographic because vulnerability is multifaceted. And I love you know, your podcast and what you're talking about. And um, I also feel like so often just in our Western society, we're like taught that vulnerability is being able to share our trauma and our like the emotions that we have labeled as a society as like negative, right? Mm. But vulnerability and sharing vulnerability is also joy Mm. and excitement and surprise and fear. Like it's the entire range of emotions. Like even just looking somebody in the eyes, it's super vulnerable. I mean, there's a, you know, when I have couple clients, uh, because I work with singles, couples and people who are in non-monogamous relationships and however many people that might involve, um, if that's what they're looking for. But like, When I'm working with units, not just singular people, having them look at each other in the eye, like really look at somebody in the eye and not like say anything is so vulnerable. So, or like even like looking at someone on the street and giving them a smile, it's super vulnerable. So it it is sharing the experience and messiness of being human as well as, you know, sharing our deepest, darkest secrets and our quote unquote negative emotions. I don't personally believe that any emotion is negative, but that's, you know, the language that we have in our society today. And it's there, like really like vulnerability is kind of almost like it's the glue that we have to keep our relationships spiritual, for lack of a better word. So like I look at love as something that can and possibly should be defined because so like we're taught in our world right um that it's an emotion it's a feeling of deep affection and if you read bell hook's book all about love like the very first chapter is about defining the word because if we can define what this word means then we have something to orient to because feelings emotions are changeable they change all the time like that's part of the human condition like our emotions are all over the place all of the time and solely looking at love 
as that feeling of deep affection means that that could be gone like tomorrow. You know what I mean? I mean, hopefully it's not right. But like, again, emotions are very mutable. They're very changeable. So like for me, like my definition of love is taking some responsibility for and being concerned about the spiritual growth and development of whoever I'm in love with myself and our relationship together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be applied to like, you know, whoever I'm in love with in the broader sense of the word, right. Like whatever definition, um, or whatever style of love. Right. And these people that we love, whether they're like family or friends or chosen family or, you know, lovers or, uh, romantic partners, sexual partners, vulnerability is what keeps that there that's what keeps that love continuing because otherwise and i feel like on some level especially in like 2022 like that it's what makes this human experience more than just survival i'm yeah i deeply that deeply resonates for me yeah and i i wanted to ask you so one of the big questions i have about vulnerability is You know, everyone talks about how important it is. We can't have connection without it. We can't have fulfilling relationships without it. We can't really experience joy without it. You know, all these things. But so many people are reckless with our vulnerability, right? We bring our vulnerability to people and they kind of take a huge poop on it. It can even happen with the universe, right? And this is, maybe this is just me speaking to my story, but I have felt this way where we make ourselves vulnerable. Like I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to take a risk world, you know, like, and then the universe takes away the thing we love or they, or we get bitten, right? In some way. Mm -hmm. What do we do when we're vulnerable and it gets shit on in some way? Because what we want to do is tell the world it can get fucked and we'll never be vulnerable with another human again. But obviously that's not the move. So like, what is the move when we put ourselves out there and we feel violated by the other person's actions, right? What's the move with the other person and what's the move with ourselves? I don't want to use the word move because that implies action. And uh, to use your terminology, like the move is to find stillness first, right? To be with whatever emotions, uh, thoughts, feelings came up when, you know, the universe or that other person or uh, yourself sometimes even has not treated you with kindness and compassion, right? And, And really tending to yourself. And by tending, I mean, like, yes, maybe if you have nervous system regulation tools like yoga or meditation or deep breathing or dancing or running or whatever, you know, whatever it is you do to like help soothe yourself. Like, yes, it can include using those tools. And also part of like the first step is really just sitting with those emotions. So you can hold them, just hold those emotions. I think, you know, in this world, currently we're taught that like we live in a very toxically positive world. So it's like, well, if you're feeling down, go do something to make yourself happy. But that's not part of the human experience. The human experience is this entire range of emotions that we've been gifted with and that, and that we're here to experience, right? So like just being with those emotions. And of course, like you don't want to stay there all the time. And if you stay there all the time, it can be harmful. So, but, but first, but first, like, take a pause, take a moment, like take some time to be hurt, to be with, you know, whatever came up when you were vulnerable and that was not received with kindness and grace and compassion. 
And then maybe you throw in your like, you know, soothing tools, your self-soothing tools. And then, you know, when you are in a place of being grounded, of feeling grounded, like then you can start to assess and discern like, well, is it worth my time and energy to have a discussion with the person, with the universe, with myself? Uh, I always feel like it's probably a good idea to have those conversations with yourself if you're the one who was like not being the most compassionate towards yourself, but you never know. Um, totally. But like, you know, then you use your discernment about whether or not it's worth it to, to open yourself up again to that hurt, to have that conversation around like, hey, when you uh, responded this way to me being vulnerable, like it really hurt. And, you know, what can we do to repair this relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and sometimes that's not, and that's okay. Like you, we don't always have to, you don't always have to have these conversations. And, and I think to, if like, if it's another person and they didn't meet you with kindness and compassion, like that, that gives you data around like, your relationship with them and you can use that data in your discernment process because yeah, maybe they're a friend and maybe you thought they were a really close friend, like in the story that you told. And then you find out like, well, shit, like they're not like, they're not actually like my person. Right. And, and then you can also use your discernment process to be like, but I also have a lot of fun with them when we go to Vegas or like, uh, you know, we love watching Marvel movies together. And that's really fun whenever we go watch a Marvel movie and like go out to dinner and talk about the movie. And then maybe be they become that friend who you only do that thing with and not the friend that you are vulnerable with, because we also don't have to be vulnerable with everybody, especially not with our pain, our deepest, darkest secrets, you know, maybe they're just a friend that we are vulnerable with our joy or our excitement or our hobbies with. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier a little bit is like, you decide your boundaries at that point, you know, you determine what it looks like. Do you want to stay? What does that mm -hmm. look like? Yeah, exactly. That I love that. And I have to say also, I don't know if you know this, but the Dirty Projectors have a song called Stillness is the Move. Uh, I don't even know that band, so I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> and it's such a good song. I mean, it's an older song. I think that's probably, I don't know how long ago that album came out, maybe 10 years, but Stillness is the Move is the move. <laughs> Stillness is the move. Be with yourself yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay, um, okay. I wanted to ask you, so... So can you kind of talk us through like the relationship between trust and vulnerability, both with ourselves and in relationships and also do boundaries play a role? So let's start with, let's start with the relationship with yourself. Cause I also think this ties into the last question that you asked me. And I feel like there's a huge component around trusting yourself, especially when it comes to vulnerability, because it's not just about trusting yourself like in a very general manner, right? It's about trusting that you can hold whatever response is given towards you opening up to somebody. Ooh. So, so if I can pause, so I make sure I understand it's you wanting to make sure that you can trust that if someone doesn't respond the way that you wanted, that you can hold space for that. You can be okay. Yeah. And I think there's like, we, 
we as a society do ourselves a huge disservice, like in the human experience, because I feel like a lot of us probably because we're in this very toxically positive environment, like society, like we're not taught how to be resilient around that. Like, I feel like there's a big component and all of us and myself included of us constantly either constantly being in a binary of either hyper-independence and like what you were talking about. Cause I'm also a fighter and I'm always like, whatever, I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. Like I got this, you know, um, or right. Like constantly seeking out how to get our needs met by other people. So it's like, we don't have that in between of interdependence where you can hold yourself. And also because like, regardless, like you're still a human and things are still tender, like hurt, hurt, you know, people get hurt. Also, hey, I also need some extra holding around whatever it is that happens. So I think the first thing is like trusting yourself to be vulnerable and express whatever it is that you want to express. Cause like you were also talking about in your story earlier, like it's, it may, it, it may, it's scary, but it's also joyous when you tell someone like, hey, I'm really into you, right? Like there's, there's a feeling there that, is both terrifying and exciting. And also, so trusting yourself to be able to express that to whoever you need to express that to or express that to yourself, right? Because I think, uh, I know for me, sometimes it can be hard to be honest with myself and I know I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one, right? And also trusting that you can hold and be with whatever that response is from the other person and whatever your responses to their response right so if they're like you know it for instance if you open yourself up and you're like hey i really like you do you want to see if we make this a thing and they're like no like that was not like where i was going i mean i've had that happen multiple times and knowing that you can hold yourself in that pain in that like oh i am you know i put myself out there and i got super rejected and uh, now I'm going to go sit at home and watch like Moulin Rouge and cry for two hours until I feel better. And maybe also eat like a pint of Ben and Jerry's or something, you know, whatever that is, but knowing that you can take care of yourself when you are rejected. And I think that fear of vulnerability often comes from being rejected because you gave so many great examples at the beginning of this episode. It's not just like, you know, when it comes to sex or romance, it's also like asking for a raise at work. It's, you know, just being honest with yourself sometimes can be like one of the most vulnerable things you can do. It's, you know, even telling your friends like, hey, what you did hurt me or like, hey, you know, like, it, or if you uh, are going through changes in your life or if you're outside of like the societal norm or whatever your friend circle has deemed as normal and you, and you come in and you're like, actually, that's not, like, I'm not into that. Like, I really, you know, I don't want to play board games tonight. Can we like go out to the bar or something? Like that's vulnerability too. And knowing that like, if they say no, that you can hold yourself in that. So I think that's where trust, like trust and vulnerability with yourself, like really comes into play. I think with other people, when you can be open about how you're feeling, how you feel about them. Um, yeah, basically those are like the two big things because I feel like that encompasses most everything that you would encounter in any sort of like other person relationship or relationship with another person. Um, that is what builds trust. And it doesn't have to be, and maybe this is my own 
stuff. But I feel like I know a lot of people who are like this as well. But like, I think too, when we think about vulnerability, we think about like, I'm going to put it all out there on the table right away, right? Like you're going to know my entire life story or like, you know, all of my feelings all at this, all, all at once. And if, if you can like kind of dial that back a little bit and like we were talking about earlier with the stillness, like really be still, like assess and discern, like where are you at in this relationship? If they're a new person, um, how much vulnerability do you want to give them? How much vulnerability are you able or how much pain are you able to hold if they don't meet that vulnerability with compassion? So if you're a new person, Maybe my vulnerability is just sharing like a promotion that I got at work and seeing how you respond to that. Or maybe it's like telling them like, hey, my dog's really sick today. I can't go out with you and seeing how they respond to that. And and I don't want to say metering out like because this is going to be different for everybody, depending on who you are. But um, one of my um, anti-colonial mentors, her name is uh, Weez Duran. She asked me recently she's like well but like do you have to be vulnerable with everybody or are you going to choose who you are vulnerable with and what does that look like and like what kind of vulnerability are you going to like give to various people so like really dialing it back and sitting in stillness and and giving the amount of vulnerability that is appropriate again whatever that means to you to the relationship that you have with that person because when we're with new friends or new loves or any new relationship, we don't actually know how they can hold us. But being able to meet her out, this was my point, being able to meet her out like, hey, my dog's really sick. I gotta stay home. I can't go to the movies with you today. And then meeting you with kindness and compassion is what helps weave together those threads of trust. So that's how trust and vulnerability are related in relationships, in my opinion, because we, we can't trust people if we've never had these moments, however small they may be of vulnerability, because it's almost like um, like building blocks or like a Lego set, right? You have to start with a foundation, you start with a base, and then you start to stack things on top of it. Like you can't build the castle if it's on you know, a volcano, because eventually that volcano is going to erupt and the castle will be destroyed. So you need to build that foundation of like small moments of vulnerability. And as those moments are met with kindness and compassion and holding, that's when you can start to build that castle and start to bring more. And that's what helps build trust, right? And you can start to bring more more deep, like deeper, <laughs> bring deeper things into that relationship. Yeah, I love that so much. And I also, I, there's a piece for me in here and I'm not sure I know how to articulate it right. But when you were talking about, hey, do a little, like, hey, my dog is sick and I have to say, it's like, it's not like, hi, my mom and dad, didn't love me. Yeah. And, right. It's like the, li it's like the little P or not that my mom and dad didn't love me, but whatever, whatever the thing is, but like you give them the little thing. And then the other piece for me, and I don't know why this has historically been so hard, but I, I know I'm not the only one. So I want to name it is really trusting that the way they show up is a reflection of how it's going to look. Right. Cause like what I like to do is be like, Oh, you didn't, 
you oh you were mean oh you were calloused oh you um were selfish I'm sure we can figure this out and make it work (laughs) right like I don't trust that what they're reflecting back to me really is the truth of where they are right and I'm I want to try to force the vulnerability to work and I don't know what what dysfunctional piece of my childhood that like where it originated but like it's a, it's a practice of, and when we talk about boundaries, it's like that inner boundary of like, I'm going to really, I'm, I'm going to discern, but I'm going to take you seriously. Like the way that you show up is really how you are. And if I give you more vulnerability, it's going to be more of that. Do I want more of that? Or do I want not that? Right. So that's a piece of like learning to trust ourselves is not ignoring those flags. Because, and I think that's a really important piece when you grew up not being able to trust, right? And I think maybe this is the piece. Growing up, it, I would say like, that really hurt me. And then, you know, my mom would say, you're attacking me. And I was like, I am? I didn't know that. Oh, I don't know who I am or what I feel or what's true or what way is up and what way is down, right? So then later, I don't know how to try. I'm like, oh, you can't give me anything? Well, I guess that's that's probably something about me. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I I think that's true for, I also grew up with uh, some very severe childhood trauma. And I think for those of us who grew up with that, with childhood trauma or childhood abuse uh, and things like that, it's much harder to discern because we were conditioned to constantly make it about us. Like it was our fault. We were the problem. You know, how do I fix me, right? And I love what you said about you know, I, I need to take you seriously. Like what you are showing me is the truth. And I, but also I feel like as a whole, like as a society, we are very conditioned to not believe people <laughs> around, like with, with the behavior mm. that they're showing us, right? We're, we're conditioned not to believe people or trust people. We see it in the rom-coms. We see it in all of the like movies and stories about like, well, uh, and even like, you know, other unethical, like dating experts, quote unquote, or like dating articles or whatever. It's like, well, you can change your person. Oh, they didn't mean it. If you just tried harder, like they'll change. Like there's this big narrative of like, if someone really loves you, they'll change for you. And that's not true. Like someone can like love you in the definition of like, I have strong feelings of affection for you and still be a really fucked up person. And that's not your fault. And it might not even be theirs, but what is their responsibility is like actually doing the work that they need to do. So they're not hurting other people, you know, unintentionally or intentionally. And, and, and yes, like we need to trust that the way that people respond is their way is who they are and maybe we can change that just by being in relationship with them because we do heal in relationship with other people and also that is not the expectation we should have when we're going into and creating relationships with other people and i feel like trusting the other person's behavior oh yes so but also coupling that with grace um which is where can become very nuanced and complex, but that's why you notice the pattern over time. So if it's like, 
my dog's sick. I have to stay home. Can't go to the movies with you. And they're upset about it. Like, cool. They get to be upset. How do they respond? Well, I'm really upset. And I totally understand. Okay, great. Like, let's see how this behavior, or like, maybe they're having a bad day and they come to you or like, you tell them that your dog's sick and you can't go to the movies with them. And they start crying and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you ditched me, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they're just having a bad day. You don't know because this is one interaction, which is why you have to look at the interactions over time. But that takes time. Okay, last question. I wanted to ask you about anger and vulnerability. I've heard it said many times, you know, like anger is a secondary emotion. We use it to shield ourselves when we're feeling really vulnerable. And that the important thing is to get to the vulnerability. But the thing that trips me up as someone who for years struggled with boundaries is that I learned to repress anger for so long that now it feels like sort of affirming and like a breakthrough to be like, hey, fuck you <laughs> when someone violates my trust or dicks me around or whatever. So how do we balance vulnerability with boundaries? And like, should anger play a role? I both agree that anger is a secondary emotion and also feel like anger plays a role in everything that we do, right? Because anger is, whether it's a secondary emotion or not, anger is part of the human experience. And I feel like, especially if you were assigned female at birth, you've been taught that anger is bad and you should never be angry. And if you're angry, it's a secondary emotion and you should figure out what the emotion is under that. But also like, you should be fucking angry. Like if you're angry, there's a book that I've been diving into very slowly um, because I have like seven books that I'm in the middle of, but it is, um, shoot, I'll have to look this up and then I'll send it to you. But it is written by a black woman and it is about rage and it is about her experience with feeling rage and being able to express that. And it, I mean, especially, you know, as a black woman, like that is something that is part of the, um, you know, the angry black woman trope. So there's a lot of nuance there when it comes to being angry and non-white um specifically black in this in this particular case and probably in our world in general but like it is necessary to express anger how you do that and if you choose to do that in a way that is less harmful i think is the key and like, what does that, like, what does that expression of anger look like for you? Do, and does it need to be expressed at somebody else or like the person who made you angry? Can you, for instance, like know that you're angry, feel that you're angry again, if it's a secondary emotion, great. If it's not also great, but what does your anger look like when you express it? So for me, like I grew up in a family that was very verbally and emotionally abusive. And so like, for me, it can come out that way. And that is something that I'm very aware of because we learn how to relate with other people just by rote, by, by seeing other adults in relationship with each other. That's how we learn how to relate to other people. And so it is very ingrained in me that like, when you're hurt, you get angry, you yell at people, you call them names, you know, you go on this big tirade. So you, so you don't have to deal with that. Right. And I don't name call and I still yell and I still feel this like white hot rage 
inside of me. And I know this. And so what that means for me is that like, if I have the mind, right? Because sometimes you don't, especially with anger, because I feel like anger can be a very blinding emotion. But if you have the presence of awareness that uh, in your body, so if you, hold on, let me backtrack. So first step is being aware of what those sensations in your body feel like when you're angry. For me, it's like, I get really hot in my face. Um, I stop breathing. My heart beats very, very, very fast. And I'm like, cool, I'm angry. So I either need to take a break and like go do something physical, like whether that's cleaning my house or going for a run or like a really brisk walk or whatever. Like I just need to get it out of my body so I can come back and, you know, talk to whoever it is and say like, hey, this made me really angry. You know, when you do this thing, can we like what? What can we work out to create a more copacetic environment? Um, I'm thinking mostly of my partner right now, just because he's home from work today and like we live in the same space. So I'm just like, you know, and and that it's easiest to have conflicts with people that you live with um, because you're always up in your shit, right? But like, but you get to feel anger and it's like, well, okay, but can you express that anger in a way that leads to productive, and I use that word very carefully, like productive conversation Or are you just using your anger and expressing it in a way that just kind of like vomits all your feelings on people, right? If you're, and I am that person, I am that person who like, when I'm angry, I can vomit my feelings all over people. And it's not very, it's messy and it's gross. And like, you know, it's, it's not very nice or kind or compassionate. So like, I had to do a lot of internal work around like, what does it feel like in my body when I'm angry? How do I know that I'm angry? What do I need to take care of that like blinding emotion so that I can come back and actually like have a compassionate conversation with my partner or whoever it is that I'm angry with and not emotionally vomit all over them? Because yes, like sometimes, I don't want to say it's okay, but like grace comes into place. Sometimes I'm going to emotionally vomit all over people. It's very ingrained in who I am uh, and how I relate to people. And I'm human. So I'm not going to be perfect around like, oh, I feel angry. I'm going to go for a run, you know, and now I'm going to come back and like have this very like calm, mature conversation with you. It's not going to happen all the time, especially if I live with you. Right. And what's the pattern, right? Like if I can do it, like, I don't know, 50, 60, 75, 80% of the time, like I'm doing pretty good. Even like 50% of the time, especially with something like rage and anger, but you do need to get those emotions out and express whatever that looks like. Primal scream, go for a drive, like go to the racetrack. I don't know. Um, You need to get them out because otherwise they live in your body. And that's when we start to fester like resentment and hatred and, or like, you know, sometimes even like self-harming behaviors because you start to shame yourself for feeling angry. All of these emotions need to be expressed. And I feel like we do ourselves a disservice just like as a society when we're like, anger is bad. It's a secondary emotion. Like you need to get underneath it. No, you need to get it out. And then maybe you'll see if there's something underneath it. Cause maybe there's not, maybe you're just angry and that's okay too. Yeah. And, and like, also I, what I, what I'm hearing you say that I think is so cool is like anger can lead to vulnerability. Like we can express anger in a way that actually leads us to deeper vulnerability when we're like, it really pisses me off when you do this. And the other person goes like, oh shit, what, what's going to work for you? Okay. Hold on. Let me think about it. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it pisses me off because of this. 
and I really need this, right? It can be this gateway to a deeper conversation when we're like not shaming it. We're not repressing it. We're not disrespecting it. Like we're, we're, but we are also wielding it in a way that's responsible, right? I love that phrase, like wielding it in a responsible way. I think that is the thing because, and I love like the partner that I'm with now. It's very much like, I'm really fucking pissed at you. I'm going to go take a, like, I'm going to go for a run, you know? And cause I don't, I don't think it, um, it's not helpful either to like tone police yourself or anybody else, but like, especially yourself. Cause I think too, if you have that background of like childhood trauma or like being told that you, you, you're the one who's always at fault, like it can be so easy for us to tone police ourselves. And I don't think, I think it's important to be able to express however we need to verbally express that in the tone. And also, right, if you want to wield that responsibly, then you can say like, I'm really fucking pissed at you. I'm going to go away until I can talk to you about this calmly, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me about this. I know this was such a big, it's like the biggest, it's like yeah. the mama. <laughs> It's the big mama. So thank you so much for coming in and also for sharing part of your story. I love that. And I'm, I just, I feel like I've learned so much today. If people want to find you and connect with you, how can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at Carrie Lou coaching. That's K A R I L U coaching C O A C H I N G. Um, that's going to be the easiest place to find me. Okay, cool. And if you want to go to hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama party or you can email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, hit me up. I always, always, always love to cover topics that y'all are into. Also, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It makes a huge difference and honestly means so much to me. Although, and I keep saying this, Spotify has a weird glitch. I don't know what's going on, but you can only give my pod four stars on Spotify. It's so sad. I don't know what the deal is, uh, but Apple is all good. Um, and also, if you'd like to support the pod, you can. You can give a dollar, $5, whatever. Um, just go to anchor.fm forward slash the Patrama Party and scroll down to the support button. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye.